message. But this is Thriving Families in a Difficult Place. If you didn't um, intend to be here, now's your chance. Um, I'm Jamie, and this is Jason. And today we're going to talk about Thriving Families in a Difficult Place, like I said. So our goal today is to give you some tools on how to do that well, but even more just to empower you that it's possible that you can say yes to those really ends-of-the-earth places even if you have children and even if your children are small or big or any of those stages that it's it's not just possible but it's it's possible to do it and thrive and for your kids to thrive and for you to have fruit in that place and do the thing that you've dreamed of doing all of your life maybe to go to these hard places and see people come to Jesus okay so a little bit about us first so we live in a country in northern kind of central Africa in the Sahel region and we're part of a team that was sent out from Memphis, Tennessee. We all came from the same church in Memphis. We've been in this country now for six years. What we do there is mostly mostly health education. We do some direct care. Um, my husband's a doctor. I'm a nurse. Um, but mostly it's health education and Bible storing. And the area where we live, there are 15, and this is just our region, not the country as a whole, there are 15 people groups with zero disciples. So that's not just a small church or, you know, there's one or two Christians, but there's no known Christians among 15 of these people groups, and they're all Muslim people groups. We have personally seen one group go from being completely Muslim to being a church now. And we've seen many other villages begin to do Bible studies. We've seen individuals engage and disengage in Bible study, but we're really starting to see some real fruit. And then we've done lots and lots of seed sowing. We've been married for 21 years. No, we look too young for that. Um, you can go on. And do I say we have four kids? You should have already said that. Okay, we have four kids. Their ages now are 16, 13, 11, and 9. When we first moved overseas, they were 2, 4, 6, and 8. Okay. Um, our city is about 120,000 people. Um, it's pretty... Non-existent electricity, no running water. The infrastructure itself is pretty primitive. Um, I like to say that our country as a whole is Africa 100 years ago. We brought in our own solar equipment. We designed the plumbing system because most people do not have indoor plumbing. Even the wealthiest don't have indoor plumbing. We have a well, but that's unique. Most people have to pay somebody to bring jugs of water to their house, including, including expats. Um, the temperatures there are regularly above 100 degrees. We have three seasons, basically. We have hot, rainy, and cool season. In cool season, the days get to 90, and that feels great. We do not have air conditioning. We have fans and then a thing called swamp cooler or evaporative cooler that can all run on solar. Um, local schools are not really an option. Even the most diehard, we're going to send our kids to local school, just don't see it. It's just not an option. Um, they, our country has inherited the French love of striking, and they'll strike for a year at a time. So there, it's not really an option. There is one mission school. It's in the capital, which is 12 hours from where we are, and it only goes up to eighth grade. So for our country, almost every worker homeschooling is your only option in boarding school if you want to do that when they get older. So... Um this past March, uh, our com- country had another rebel incursion. There were several throughout the 90s and early 2000s, but we had another one this March. They got about halfway to the Capitol before the Army stopped them, but during the process, the President went out to help them. 
lead him, and he got killed in his 30th year of office. He had been in power for 30 years. His son swiftly took over as one of the generals, and there's now a military government. Um, it was kind of dicey for a bit, but uh, now it's one of the most stable countries in the region, which is not saying a whole lot. Um, our city's about 99% Muslim. So the Christians that are in our city are from ethnic groups from the south of our country. And in general, they um, are there for work or school. And for the most part, this is changing, thankfully, but for the most part, they don't care to really necessarily reach out to their Muslim neighbors or friends. Um, we've met a few pastors and a few lay people who are starting to do that. Um, the country as a whole is 70% Muslim. Um, most of our Islam is folk Islam, meaning there's a really strong undercurrent of animism under everything. So lots of amulets and rituals and going to the witch doctor's common. Um, they'll wrap dead chickens around a displaced fracture. They'll jam thorns in somebody's nose for a sinus infection. Um, little babies will have colds or bronchitis and they'll actually dig the baby teeth out of children um awful stuff um so it's a it's a tough place in general um it can be tough place to stay and even a tougher place to to have kids there and to raise a family there um and even even another step to do all that and still do ministry and have have the well filled up to to share and do ministry and things so um, we're here to say how we've experienced that being done, and hopefully you can apply some of those principles that we've learned so that you can also do it. So the first um, kind of thing that guides a lot of this is knowing why you are there, right? So, um, so having kind of a well-developed theology of your own, of mission, of sacrifice, of risk, and, and knowing... God, why why are you sending us to this place? And, um, you know, we may have nuances in our answers for that. We may focus on different parts of his word, or there may be certain things that tug at our hearts in ways that don't other people. But um, in general, you're going to draw a lot of that from the word of God, right? Because um, this is so, so important, because things will get hard for you. It's not a matter of if, or it's a matter of when, and it's, it's a matter of... Um, Probably not too long uh, ahead. Um, you've got to firmly have in your mind why you went, why you're there, and what's keeping you there. Why are you still there? Why are you going to stay there through this hardship or difficulty? And some of those difficulties are directly affecting your children. Um, and so, like, when the president was shot, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen in the, in the country. In fact, expats there had always said, everything will be fine as long as the, this current president's in power. And then he was... Killed. And uh, so a lot of people left, um, which is, you know, okay. Um, but we, we knew, we had in our minds and in our hearts why we're going to stay and continue doing what we're doing. Um, so our, our kind of theology of all that kind of stuff is, that, is, is, is drawn from Scripture. Um, you know, we believe that people were, for, were ransomed for God by the blood of Christ from every tribe, every ethnic group, every language, every people. Um, and that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the entire world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, and that one day a great multitude will stand before the throne of Christ praising him, and there will be representatives in that multitude from every one of these tribes, each of these 15 tribes where we serve that now have no one. Somebody from each of those tribes is going to be there praising Jesus. And we, we cling to that, and we, and we love that, and that, that drives us. Um, he's called us to pick up his crosses and follow him. 
right? So we, we accept these risks that are inherent to what we do and inherent to the place that we do them in, um, realizing that he is sending us out as sheep among wolves. I mean, that's what he said. Um, and so um, that's not, a, that's not a f- necessarily a fun place for a sheep to be. But when that sheep is guided by Almighty God and his spirit, it can, it can be pretty awesome at times. Um, but it's, it's initially scary. Um, and, and we believe as the kingdom spreads across this region, as, as there are more disciples and more churches and, and it, the kingdom spreads, there will be more opposition, there will be more persecution. Um, the government officially has ensures freedom of religion, but on a local level that's not really followed at all. And plenty of overt persecution takes place on a local level from... Um, uh, family and even local government officials, um, and so we we know that we'll we will experience some of this. We know for certain that local seekers who become disciples will experience this. So we um, have to be shrewd and wise about that stuff. Yet at the same time, we have to be bold and 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 not compromise, um, which entails sacrifice. Yeah, so sacrifice is the big word I think you always hear related to this work that we're doing. And we're not going to stand up here and tell you there's not going to be sacrifice. That there's not going to be things that you that break your heart. Things that make you wonder why you did this. But we want, first of all, talking about sacrifice, there's two types of sacrifice in our minds. There's sacrifice that leads to kingdom advance and there's sacrifice just for the sake of sacrifice. And that may sound crazy if you're here right now and you haven't gone overseas yet, but we see it all the time. People making decisions to sacrifice whatever it is. I'm not going to have a fan. I'm not going to have a refrigerator. I'm not going to have this or that. Because somewhere along the way, someone has told them that's a sacrifice they need to make. And maybe it is, but maybe it's not. So we just want to talk through a little bit. What is sacrifice that leads to kingdom advance? How is that different than a sacrifice just for sacrifice? So we all know that Jesus said you're going to sacrifice, right? You take up your cross. That's not an easy thing. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be people that oppose you. But when we look at what we're going to give up, whether it's a refrigerator or it's an air conditioner or it's a house in a specific neighborhood or any of that, we just we always put that through questions of will this lead to fruit? Does giving that thing up mean I'm going to see people come in the kingdom? Will it lead to disciples? And then where am I trying to have the most impact? What am I here to do? Did I come here to live in a hut for the sake of living in a hut? Maybe living in a hut is going to get you into the people group you're looking for, or maybe it's just living in a hut, and it's not actually going to lead you into further ministry. And then what are the specific tasks you're here to do? My husband's a doctor. I'm a nurse. People know that. They don't expect or want us to live in a hut. They think it's weird and crazy, even in their own context. That would never happen. Um, And so just thinking through those things a little bit more instead of just saying, yeah, I've got to give up all of this. I've got to live local. And that's a controversial thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But just putting it through, why am I doing this? Because there, you can get into a habit of kind of, I sacrifice more than the guy next door to me. I'm sacrificing more than my fellow worker. But you really want to think, why am I doing that? Is it mattering? Does it, am I giving something up just for the sake of giving something up? So an example is, in our context, 
One of the things we feel like ways we have the most impact and this task we feel led to do is to go into other people, into locals' homes and to do, that's where we do the majority of our work. We don't do it in our own home. So because of that, we don't put energy or time into making our home this welcoming refuge for locals. We live, we have a pretty western home. We, people come into our yard, which is totally culturally normal to not enter your house just to come into your yard. But that doesn't even happen all that often. And that's not true for everyone in our context, and that's not true for all workers, but we know for ourselves that the work we're there to do is not going to happen in our home. So it's okay for us to do things in our home that look different than the locals. Yeah. So I talked about this, like the idea of sacrifice. So this is a village. So maybe you feel like you have to live in a village. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. Maybe this is just you're going to live in this village and you're going to spend all of your time doing what villagers do. I mean, my chatty and friend, sorry, I was supposed to say that. My local friends spend the majority of their time just existing. They get up in the morning and they cook all their food. They do their laundry. Like there isn't time for other things. And you're not you're not there to just live, right? You're not there to just exist. You're there to be fruitful. And so maybe instead you create an infrastructure that allows you to be fruitful. Maybe you have something, you have a fan going. Maybe you have a refrigerator and a freezer. Maybe you have a more enclosed home so people aren't coming and going all day so you can homeschool your kids. We didn't choose to live in a village. This is actually our house. Um, and we knew our oldest was nine when we moved overseas. We knew that him giving up an American lifestyle was going to send us home more quickly than if we let him have some things. So we have a Nintendo or whatever, Xbox at our house. I don't even know what we have. Um, we have a TV. We have nice comforters. Like there are things in our home that a local would never have, but that's going to keep us there. And honestly, for us and our way that we're doing our work, it does not impact our ministry at all. If we told our kids, sorry, you can't, play that video game, it wouldn't further our kingdom work. Now, you might choose not to do that for other reasons, but it wouldn't further our kingdom work. So for us, that's not a decision we made. And you just have to remember that there's a lot you can do in two years. Like if you're like, I'm only going to be here for two years, you can give up a whole lot of things that you can't give up over 10 or 15 years. Your kids as a toddler are willing to live under different circumstances than they are when they're 15, like, you just have to, you're there for the long haul, and you just have to keep that goal in mind. And we, I say, we say that all the time. We're not here to live like a local. We're here to bring the kingdom. And if that's going to keep us here, and that's going to keep us more able to bring the kingdom to this place, then it's worth it. So, you will sacrifice. Absolutely, you will sacrifice. There's no question. You don't have to worry that, I mean, we sacrifice all the time, even... People usually come to our house and go, how do you live like this? And we're like, I feel like we live very American. So you don't have to worry about that. But just make sure, I think it's worth pausing before you say, well, I've got to give up that thing that I love or my kids got to give up that thing that, I, that they love. Just pause and say, why, what's the voice in my head? Is this other people? Is this 
I'm, I'm comparing myself to others around me? Or is there a real reason that this is going to stand in the way of me sharing the gospel? Because there are those things. I don't wear pants in my context. I like wearing pants. I don't like wearing skirts. That's a sacrifice I make every day because it would hinder me. But not I do wear a t-shirt instead of a local dress because it makes me feel better. Um, I'm wearing a big old thing over me anyway that nobody can see my clothes. So that isn't a sacrifice that I make that lots and lots of people in my context do. Um, and it's just choices I make to stay there. Yeah. Um, and so what, what we've tried to do over the years is, is basically filter our decisions. And so this is not biblical or hard and fast or a word from the Lord or anything. It's just, it's just the, the, the three top questions that we kind of ask ourselves when we're making decisions about this kind of stuff. Um, and so is it, is it going to help us stay there long term? And Jamie talked about that a fair amount already. Um, is this something that if we don't do this or if we don't have this or whatever, we, we're not sure we're going to make it past that kind of two, three years. And we might... And we've known people that have gone without, uh, they've gone living very local and they've gradually added things. That's another way to approach it. But we, we kind of went the other way. We're like, we've, our kids are older um, when we went to the field. And so um, we're going to err on the side of staying and sustaining uh, rather than err on the side of making it or not. Um, and then Jamie talked a lot about this already too. Is this, is this thing, is this thing I'm doing, is this thing I want to have or not have or do without does that further the kingdom? Jamie fleshed that out a lot already. Or does this prepare our kids for their futures? So that's a big category that doesn't, doesn't fit a lot of the other things and that um, you hear lots of varying stories from third, court, third culture kids, mission kids, MKs, TCKs, about what their upbringing was like. And I, I urge you, if you've got kids or you're thinking about this, or um, talk, to, talk to as many grown-up missionary kids as you can find um, who can share their stories and, and help you navigate that. We did a lot of that. Not, we didn't necessarily intentionally seek it out, but whenever we came across someone, we, we plugged them with questions about that stuff. Um, go ahead. I just want to say one thing on, that, on this, and there's di- very differing opinions on this. I just want to say our perspective and what we felt was right for us. Um, I think that a lot of us go overseas, and we, we have this vision of our kids growing up with locals, speaking the language fluently, being practically a local. And we also see that become a struggle for people because your kids aren't locals. Um, they're never going to be. And guess what? They're going to come back to America someday. This is home. It just is. Whether we want it to be or we don't want it to be, when your kids grow up, they have no reason to be in that place anymore. And so we actually, we do value an American identity for our kids. Now, do we deal with third culture culture stuff? Absolutely. But um, for our own family, that's just something to think about. I think it can feel very romantic that, well, my kid is a global citizen. Great. That feels kind of scary, actually, for a kid. So just to think through that stuff, like, do I, am I giving this up? Because I have a vision for my kids that is romantic and maybe not real. Like, am, is my, not all your kids are going to be missionaries when they grow up. Maybe they will. Great. Awesome. But some of them won't, and they're going to need to be able to come back here. And so sometimes we see people really emphasize 
their kids being with, other, with locals to the sacrifice of expat relationships, and they end up going home because their kids have no reason. They, they hate being there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, so there, and, and the reason we kind of filter through these, these questions is that there will be so many draws on your time and your energy and your time and energy are limited, right? Um, and there are so many good things you can be doing. And so um, you, can, you can fall into different pitfalls with that, obviously. You can, you can be so involved with ministry that you're, you're not recharging enough, you're burning out, you don't have enough fun time with your, for yourself, with your family, with your spouse, with your kids. Um, and another pitfall along the same lines of what we were talking about, your, your lifestyle is so um, trying to be so enculturated, so locally acceptable that you're consumed with life. Like doing, you decide, well, the local ladies wash their laundry by hand, by themselves. That's what I'm going to do. Well, that takes you three hours. Um, the local ladies cook all their meals from scratch, from food they bought from the market that morning every day. That takes six hours for three meals, you know. Um, and so you, you don't have anything left for ministry. Um, and so those are just things to, to put through those filters, those questions of, um, you know, do, do I really need to be doing this? Or is my time better spent doing something more directly in kingdom, kingdom work? And I was just, why does that matter? Because you're going to burn out if you're, I mean, here I can run so much faster and harder than I can in America because I can buzz through Starbucks and get a little recharge. I can order pizza on a night that I'm tired. Those things don't exist there. So when I'm tired there, it's just so much bigger than my exhaust when I'm tired here. It's so much harder to recharge. So just we see that all the time, like just overextending yourself. And that's why it's so important to think about like, man, I'm spending five hours a week getting my kids fluent in language. Is that why I'm here? I'm spending all my time doing laundry. Is that why I'm here? Yeah, so again, we, we believe that living like a local is a means to a goal. It's not the goal itself, right? Um, and and this, this impacts you, but it impacts your entire family, your kids, obviously. Um, we want to live in a way that does create the fewest barriers to them hearing and accepting the gospel, but that may not... They may not look like the classic picture that you might have in your mind. That's, that's the point here. Okay, so we often, when we see people coming to... You can see what I'm going to say. <laughs> when, when we have people interested in moving overseas, we often see them with a list of things they need. So I need to be able to go out on Friday nights. That's important to me. I need my kids to have extracurriculars. I need a school. So we just talked a lot about sacrifice and what we think you do and don't need to sacrifice. But the principle going into it all, even before that, is we, we would love to see you flip that. Instead of what do I need a place to have in order to live there, first really pray and seek where is God calling me? Where is this place that has no disciples? Where is this place that no one's going? Where is this place at the end of the earth? And pray and seek. And if you feel that God is calling you and your family there, you can trust him to fulfill those needs. Now, 
part of that is having a great theology of mission and sacrifice where you know that God absolutely loves you and he's a loving father. And if he has called you to this place and if he has called you to bring, like he did us, our nine-year-old son to a country where there are maybe five or six expats that are his age, that God is somehow going to provide for that need that he's going to have, that God's going to provide for Jason not being able to do surgery in this context, that God is going to provide for those things. We couldn't predict what those provisions were, but we knew that God loved us, and he wasn't, we weren't just sacrifices on an altar for him for the sake of this mission, that he called us there for the good of the people there, but also for our good, that he loves us just as much as we love our kids, even more. And that when he calls us into this difficult place and he calls us to bring them along, he has a good thing for them in it. And that we can trust him to provide for all of those things we just talked about that you might need, you might feel that you need in a place. And that's going to look really different probably if you live in the ends of the earth. I mean, if you go to a Jordan or a more industrialized country, you probably will find ballet classes for your kids and be able to go to the workout club every week and things like that. In our context, and I think in a lot of the places left, that's not true. So maybe movies are something that really, you just love movies and you, that's such a huge part of your life. Well, bring a bunch of movies with you. Figure out a way to download that stuff. Figure out a way to bring you. I love watching my kids in extracurriculars. I love it. I mean, we run around like insane people when we're back in America because we have four kids and they're all involved in at least two activities. So it's crazy, but it's something that I, I love and they love. So we actually put on, I guess the next slide, me and two other moms, we put on a music, a play with our kids. Uh, we performed the Jungle Book for <laughs> locals and other expats. So it didn't look like being able to put them in some amazing theater program, but we created it. And so there's just lots of things like that that you do have to, you trust God with it and then be willing to walk into what he's put in front of you. Um, try to be open-minded about, okay, this is the thing I need. How is God going to provide? Another way was we prayed and prayed for peers for my son, who's nine, who was nine at the time. I think he was 10 then. And God provided an Australian family where their kids were 15 and 13, but they had the same desire for getting together regularly. And that really was a blessing from God. It's not what I would have written. And I could have, we could have, both of those families could have said, no, this doesn't match perfectly, but it was, it was the thing that got us through that term. Another thing I do is um, I have a monthly exercise group because exercising in a group is important to me. So a bunch of us expats just once a month get together. Um, we have a large homeschool group that I actually started and run, and we get together every Friday, and it's the same program that I use here. I'm not saying you have to do all of that. I enjoy it. But things like that that you might have to come up with. Jason and the kids built a basketball court and goal because our kids actually hate playing soccer, and that's the only sport that kids play. So we spent months and months building a basketball court. Um, and it's a weird thing in the neighborhood, but people love it. And then our second son loves animals, and he wanted a dog. Not many people have pets in our context, but we did what it took, and we got him a puppy, and we've since gotten a cat and a hawk and a tortoise and hedgehogs and just endless people come. Ex locals actually are not confused by it, but expats come over and they're just like, what in the world? 
how do you have all these animals? But <laughs> it's important to our kids, and I'm, I enjoy it, so it's worth the work for us. And then sometimes the provision seems to not come at all. So we actually prayed as a family every single day for four years that God would send another family to our city. Like our, our oldest two are five years older than the next oldest expat kid in the city. And we prayed for five years that that would change, and it didn't. So last year we did the thing we thought we would never do, and we sent our oldest son to boarding school. And there's probably a lot of you in this room that say, never would we do that. And we've, we actually had a conversation the week before we visited the boarding school that we said we will move before we do that. But the amazing thing is that God didn't ask us to do that when we moved. He didn't say to us when we got on the plane, guess what, you're going to send your 14-year-old to another country during COVID, and that's what you're going to do from, for school. He didn't say that. He said that after... When we were ready, when we finally visited the boarding school and we finally saw our son interact, it wasn't just second best. It wasn't just, okay, this is what we're going to have to do because this is what God's called us to. It was, wow, God, what an amazing opportunity for him. We're so excited for him to go. And sometimes sacrifices aren't like that. Sometimes they are heart-wrenching, and there is definite heart-wrenching in it. But it has been such a blessing to see him thrive and see God's unique love for him that he brought his parents through this journey so that we would send him with open arms and trust God with the plan that he has for our son. So that's, that has been our story overseas, and it's most people's stories, I think, that there are absolute, absolute sorrow. I mean, I actually tested positive for COVID and couldn't take him to boarding school, and it was heart-wrenching, and it broke my heart. But there are also, alongside that, immense joys. Our kids, actually the other day, our second son, we were talking about being a believer and believing in Jesus. And he said, I don't know how anybody could do what we do in chat in, in our country and not believe in Jesus. He's 13 years old. I mean, what a gift that he has that understanding right now. That, And so we just urge you that these sacrifices that God's going to call you to that he might be calling you to right now, they're sacrifices, but they're, tra- they're a trade-off for a greater joy. So we're going to talk now about some ways that you can prepare now if you're pre-field, um, or even if you're on home assignment going back, um, things to think about, you can prepare um, for that future, that develop that theology of mission and sacrifice and risk in your parenting um, how you know how you, how the word interacts with your parenting? Um, this does not require special courses, seminary courses. It requires you getting together with your your family, your spouse, um, studying the word together, and asking hard questions of yourself, um, realizing that some of these hardships and decisions will come. And what are you going to do based on His word when they do come? I was just going to speak one thing about that. One thing we did while we lived in the United States is we moved into inner city Memphis. And so we did that first step of what does it look like to live with kids in a place that other people think it's crazy to live here with them. So there are opportunities like that that you could take here and now to start to prepare that yourself for that. Yeah. Um, learn to pray for important things with your kids around. So sometimes we have this thing where we have to... We need quiet, we need space to pray about something important in particular. 
Um, but but start practicing doing that with them climbing on your legs <laughs> or or pulling at your sleeve or whatever. Um, and and increasingly uh, enjoin them, bring them into that with you, um, with them. And we we promise this is doable. Um, it it takes some practice. It's not something if you're not used to it, you just kind of fall into. But it it is totally doable, and it is doable to engage them. Um, and this is something we've continued to do on the field with um, other folks that are there, and. Um, you know, get creative, maps, Legos, Duplo blocks, whatever, whatever your kid's into, whatever they can, they can wrap their minds about what you're praying about, whatever will help them do it, um, and, and learn to pray, uh, as a family with them. Um, you to say something else? Yeah. Um, just, yeah, we can't overemphasize enough learning to have abundant prayer. This was this picture was taken during a prayer event that we did in the city we live in. That was a three-day prayer event where from 8 to 5, all of us got together all day long with all of those children were present the whole time. Um, so just prayer is such a foundation for what, for any success you're going to have overseas. Um. Know yourself. Uh, so, so pre, you know, as you're preparing, know know who you are as a person. Know what drives you. Know what bugs the snot out of you. Um, part of this for us and for a lot of people, I think it's really helpful is to do some personality testing. Some agencies require it. Um, so there's Myers Briggs, which most people have heard of. There's a whole slew of them. Firo B is kind of how much inclusion, control, affection you want, how much of that you express. Um, there's another one that focuses on your how you adjust to different situations, how you adjust to new relationships. Um, that SCL 90 is more of a looking for pathologies, but it's not a bad idea to do that either. Um, and then, and then there are several profiles on how you how you work as a team with other people that maybe aren't your family, um, and this can this can then reflect back on how you interact with your family. Um, defining role preferences when working on a team—that's what Team Dimensions profile is. And then Belbin roles is like Team Dimensions, but it's a lot more extensive and has more roles. So I really, I, I mean, I'm kind of a researcher type, so I like this kind of stuff. But I think it's really helpful. Yeah, and so think about your daily life. Um, what do you love? What do your kids love? What are things that you can re- replicate there? Once again, we're talking about do you have to sacrifice? Um, our kids, we let them, we were containering. We knew we were containering. So I started out saying you can only bring five stuffed animals, and it was really difficult. So I was like, forget it. Just put it all in. It's light. It's fine. So just really think about those things for yourself. And for your kids. I love the way I unwind is watching a television show. We have terrible internet. I can't stream. So I'm always collecting TV shows and bringing them back. And I mean, that's such a silly, petty thing. And I know we often, well, I need to work on that in myself. I mean, we need some fun. We need some levity in our lives. Your life will be very heavy over there. And it's okay to... Make those things a priority in your suitcase. Maybe you love really great coffee, and your, our country does not have great coffee, so there are people that fill half their suitcase with coffee. Um, maybe 
date nights are something you and your spouse do. In our setting, going out as a man and woman for a date would be really strange. And so we've done other options for at-home date nights or swapped with other families, things like that. Just being, thinking through what, okay, thinking through what, what are the things here that give you joy? What are the things here that feed you? And some of those you're going to, you're going to let go of. But don't expect to live just this, this ascetic, ascetic life, ascetic life where you give up every joy that you have and you're just focused on Bible study and prayer. You're just human. And God also says, eat, drink, and be merry. So there are places for just fun. And we, is that, I throw birthday parties. That's my thing. With <laughs> That's kind of the fun thing to do in our city is everybody throws a birthday party for their kid and invites the whole community. And so um, I bring back things to do that well. And that's okay. Um, it's not... It's not the most important thing that we're doing there, but it keeps us there. Recharging. Yeah, and so how are you going to recharge? What, like I said, and this should be spiritual too. I'm actually learning more and more all the time. How? What do I need? Do I need sermons recorded? Do I need worship music? Do I need to learn to play the piano? Because that's really going to fill me. Or play the guitar because you can bring it. Um, our son has found a love for the ukulele, and so he that's really portable. Um, so just what are those things, spiritually and not spiritually, that here give you, when you've had a rough day, that's what you go to. And maybe you need to rethink that and come up with things that are more centered on God, but it's also okay just to have downtime. It's, it's also healthy. But, yeah, working right now on... Bible, what, what is the thing when you need to go to God, what are those things? I'm learning that I actually, I really benefit from a Bible study written by somebody else. And so when I go back this time, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take a whole bunch of Bible study books because I can't access online easily or stream or any of that. And just having my Bible doesn't quite keep me engaged enough. So just think through those things and don't be afraid to, to bring something trivial if you're like, you know what, this is going to make me feel okay about being in this place. Because then it's not trivial. Right. Yeah. Um, so remember this kind of filter set if you want to use this. Um, practice, Start practicing that now as you're making decisions in your life now. Um, start running, running decisions through these filters. Um, and it's going to help you as you move toward the field if you're pre-field. Um, to, to, I think, arrive, to land a little more smoothly. It's never that smooth of a landing, but um, uh, having, having practiced that for a year, two years prior um, really, really helps. Um, that includes maybe exploring homeschooling now if you've got kids already. Um, a lot of the places that uh, we're going now that have people groups with zero disciples that need us the most do not have good schools. I mean, there's, there's exceptions. But so if you want to go to one of these hard places, it's important to at least be willing to, to um, entertain the idea of homeschooling. And it, while you're in the U.S., maybe a great time to, to sort through that, look at what it might look like for you, talk to other homeschooling moms or dads, go to a conference, look online. Um, we're not saying homeschooling is the only way. We're just saying you might need to, um, depending on where you go. Um, discipline. So this is 
always kind of an elephant in the room kind of thing. It's very personal. We're not going to tell you how to discipline your kids. Um, but we will say, if you, if you are here in the States wanting to go and you find your life is hard and difficult because of discipline issues now, it's only going to get worse when you go over there and, and they're tired or you're stressed or this or that. Um, and so try to work hard. Again, do whatever you need to do. Talk to other people, books, whatever, conferences, habits and methods that work, and try to be consistent as you as you transition to the field. Um, your marriage. Um, obviously, you want a strong marriage, duh. But um, realize, too, that when you're there... Your, your spouse, it's, a, it's, a, it's too much pressure for your spouse to always be the only support that you have. Does that make sense? So it's awesome, the support that you have from your spouse. But it's, it's too much for them to be all you've got. Um, and so everybody's stressed there. You're, each other are stressed sometimes. And it, it may be that in some, in some matters and some issues, they are the only person that knows what you're talking about, what you're going through. And that's fine. But you've, you've got to learn how to be sustained by God himself and his word and his spirit and his promises for you, um, but also to create individual support next, networks with other people um, of the same gender, I will add, I think is important, um, as you, um, through your home, through your organization. So um, you're taking over this part. Yeah, so having a support network is critical, and we're not just talking financial. Financial is important, of course, but um, we're talking about to meet your spiritual and other needs. So organizational, in our organization, we have the privilege of, of having access to professionals. Through our organization, we uh, most sending organizations offer that. If they don't, then... If you're in an organization that doesn't find it elsewhere, it's really important to have that. Um, some mentors of ours, some leaders of ours told us you need to start those relationships before you need those relationships. Because when things are ugly, you don't want to tell them that's it, it's somebody you've never talked to how ugly it is. But if they're walking with you, you're going to be a lot more likely to reach out. And you're just going to go through some hard stuff that you need people that are trained in what in your in dealing with workers because it's unique. Um, and you want to be able to trust them. So it also, maybe your organization offers it, but you just don't trust them for whatever reason. You don't get to pick your person. You feel like there's punitive action. Whatever reason, then look for it outside. We can't stress that enough that you need, you need people that you, you talk to regularly so that when you get, not if, but when you get into difficult situations, they're there. And they're reaching out to you. They're not just waiting for you to reach out to them. Um, your church, obviously, um, this was our church in Memphis, and church is a great place. Sometimes they have people trained, sometimes they don't. So once again, if your church is like, we're going to provide all the support you need, and you see that there's nobody actually on staff who's a trained counselor, nobody's ever lived overseas, all those things, look outside of it, but stay connected to your church for sure. They can be a great source of that. Friends and family, um, you need one or two people that you can just tell everything to, even if they don't understand it. Maybe they've never lived overseas. Maybe they don't understand your context. But somebody that is, even if you say to them, hey, when I go, I need you to text me once a week. Like, it's okay. That's not less of a friend just because you have to tell them what to do. People don't always know what to do. They don't under, they think you're so busy. They don't, you don't have time to talk to me. So you need to 
be willing to tell people what you need, but find those people that are up for that, that are like, yeah, I'm totally behind that. We have, we have a couple friends that live in Memphis that are those people for us, and they're those people for, honestly, any expat that comes home. They're like, yeah, we're up for a short-term, six-month relationship with you, and we'll maintain this while you're gone. So, so be looking for those people now, and if, if you're already overseas and you don't have those people, when you come back on your state side, start looking for that and investing in that. So we're going to wrap this up and have some time, a little bit of time for questions. Um, again, hear me on this. You, you will have to, no matter how much stuff you take with you or how nice your house is, you will sacrifice, okay? Um, you will suffer on some level. Um, if, if you're going to places that are largely unreached by the gospel, there will be danger of some sort of another. But it really is worth it. Jesus is worth it. These people praising Jesus around his throne are worth it. And it's, and it's not all just for you either. Um, your kids are not an afterthought for God. He knows them just like he knows you. He has purpose for them in that place just like he does for you. Um, and our kids' worldview, we alluded to this earlier, is, is, is different than their peers in America, obviously. Their values are different. The way they interact with, um, our, the way our oldest two can interact with little, little kids is amazing. And it's not really necessarily because of our parenting, it's because of their experiences growing up around all these little kids and having to be nice to them and not be annoyed by them all the time. Um, they love the peoples of this earth in ways that it took us years to kind of develop that love and that passion for. Um, and so if God is nudging you to follow his call to the nations, to the ethne, and to take your family to a difficult place, we just urge you don't let fear of, of danger or any of the things stop you. He is big enough for that, and, and that place is desperate for Jesus. Um, and it, it might be you and your family that he wants to share Jesus with them. Um, he, he needs, he work, He does his work through us way more often than not, and um, there's a lot of dark places left. Okay, we've got um, 13 minutes for questions. <laughs> Who has questions? Yes, ma'am. Yes, our oldest already knew America was super fun, so that was part of it. Like, he was nine. He already, he already kind of knew that. Um, so it is different for us because our kids were older. Our teammates that have very small children, had very small or had babies while they were over there, their kids are just now hitting the point where they're like, oh, maybe we'll do some extracurriculars. Um, so, yeah, that, that's not, nothing we're saying is a directive of, like, this is how you can thrive. It's just for us as we were filtering what's important, what's not. So, yeah. You can bring the mic to you. Oh, okay. I'll run this time. You'll run and I'll answer. Yeah. you got a mic on your head, though. So you How do you talk to your children when they say to you, um, these sacrifices are okay for you, but I didn't have any choice in it, and they express some bitterness about it? Yeah, so that happened with our oldest. Um, we were back for COVID, and we were going back, and there were some situations we were in that we were telling him, you can't do that because we live overseas. And he said, but I don't want to live overseas. That's your choice, not mine. Why should I have to do that? Um, and we prayed with him. I mean, I just said, you're right. You're absolutely right. You didn't make this choice. Um, but this is a choice God has made for our family. Those are just conversations I... I, everything I've been told is you're just really honest and you don't discount. I think in the past, 
missionaries have said, we're doing this for Jesus, you can't be upset. And that's done a lot of damage. The, the advice now, for sure, is to say, you have af- every right to hate living here. You have every right to be mad at me. I mean, I said that. I said, you have every right to be angry at me for taking you to this place and doing this. And I just have to say to them, I want you to, if they have a relationship with Jesus, which not every, that's not a guarantee in your kids, but... Um, Why don't you take that to God and see what he has to say to you? And part of that was sending our kid to boarding school because that was happening. He, I was watching a kid who hated living in Africa. He was like, I'm going to go back to America. I'm going to buy a house and I'm never going to leave it. Um, But now, I mean, that he's in, he's in boarding school and he's back in America now. And he's like, I hate this place. Send me back to boarding school. So you're going to deal with that stuff for sure. And so it takes a lot of prayer and just, I think letting them feel those things yeah that's such a crucial question and i i I totally agree uh giving them space and and making it an ongoing conversation an ongoing dialogue between you and not not shutting it down not shutting down because it's very real and it's very intense and this is a personal decision but for us um we've had workers that have said there's nothing that would send me home no amount of stress for my kids would send me home that is not a decision we have made and we've said that to our kids like if if we have to go home for you to be okay, that's absolutely fine with us. You're not destroying our dream. You're not ruining our lives. It's what God has for us. Okay. Um, we've like heard advice sometimes, like the kind of disciple you are is the kind of disciple you'll make. And I, we are still like not in the field yet, so like in all humility, like asking. But like so, the comfort you know, like said how like the people there they spend like all day just living, but you guys want to live a fruitful life. Like, do you feel like, you know, like you need to balance the comforts you have with, like, you want to model how to have a fruitful life there? You know, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. And we've grappled that most with this recent, we've got a group of women that have become believers and they are now reproducing our model in another village. And, um, you know, they're just so different. These women work five days, one of them works for one of the expat families five days a week. She goes home, she cleans, she does all of the things, and then on Sunday she goes three hours one way to the village, shares the gospel, goes three hours back. I'm not up for all that. I mean, that's some of it, is I'm just not up for all that. And they, yes, I want to model that, and I think that we have to some degree in that, um, but some of it is you're just never going to be local. So. And they, they know, too, that, like we've sacrificed things. Like they watched me walk, walk through my dad's death, um, left, came back, constantly asking, "How's your mom doing? How's your mom doing?" Like they they get that we've left people and and life to do this, and so um, they they realize that it's not always going to be like a one to one correlation on how they how they disciple, how they sacrifice with how we've done it. But they they do get the concepts. I think does that make sense? Like so. But I think, again, not to like be arrogant or toot our horns, but we've tried to model just that, you know, that life of sacrifice, and and this woman's getting it, even though it looks different for her. Not not this woman, but the woman she's talking about. <laughs> this lady. <laughs> and I think there's also a truth that maybe we forget. There's wealth everywhere. Like we actually we joke that we live in the suburbs of our town because our neighbor is just as rich as we are, if not more. So you. 
I mean, yeah, wealth exists everywhere. I'm just going to make a couple comments, if I may. Having visited your country a couple of times, um, we've lived in Africa for 28 years, um, supporting up. missionaries and their families. And I just want to affirm so much of what you have said about um, doing what your family needs and setting the boundaries that your family needs. That's healthy. But there are sacrifices, and you can't have all of the boundaries. But you also alluded to getting outside help. And so I represent Tumaini counseling centers in Nairobi and Kampala, Uganda. But there are counseling centers in Spain, Thailand, and Turkey to support missionaries. And all of us are available and eager and ready to support you when you have needs. So please look for help, too, when, when the times come that you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a question? What do you guys? She thought she saw a hand. Okay. Setting priorities. Sort, sort your priorities. How, how, how did you work through priorities? Oh. Yeah, that's a person. I think it can be really personal priorities of what's important to you, what's not. I think that's a huge part of knowing yourself um, is really thinking through those things because what my and I think that's a huge thing is like don't just say well they live like that so I'm going to live like that because um, I'm different than my other coworker in what matters to me yeah and so again we use these filtering questions to to along with the I mean the further the kingdom part is from the word what are our priorities and then again some of it's personal like Jamie's saying and how, how you answer these questions, obviously, is personal. Um, but we, we mostly use this process um, and, and focus on those things. If it's going to stay, if it's actually going to help us further the kingdom, or is it just going to make things harder? And is it going to prepare our kids to live how they need to live in the future? Yeah. Yeah, did you guys get that? He, he just said he liked that we said... Um, if we need to go home, that's what we'll do. Okay. You're doing a terrible job at this. Sorry. Um, so we have kids um, similar to whenever you guys went on the field. Um, they're eight, six, four, and three. Um, and we've been on the field for two years. And I guess I'm, and I, we were in your previous session where you talked about the importance of intentional prayer. And I've really seen that and want to incorporate that more. I was just wondering if you could give tips on, like, how to do that practically with like an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, where the eight-year-old, yeah. you need to engage them more, but the three-year-old is also like a huge distraction. Yeah, so there's actually a book that a co-worker of ours has written that we would recommend. Um, I think it's called Creative can, Intercession. It's on Kindle, um, it's on and, Kindle. and she has a whole section that's just, so we her actually... Her name is Trisha, I'm not going to say her last name, but... Um, Trisha is her first name, and it's Creative Intercession. And we actually use this um, concept called Strategic Prayer, and it's a concept, I think it works really great with kids, where you actually you switch activities every 15 minutes. So maybe your first activity does engage the three-year-old. Maybe three activities don't, and they're just milling around the house. Um, we do a lot of that. Like, our kids aren't always there 24-7 during prayer. Um, it's okay for them to just be around which also leads into the thing of discipline like if you if you have good discipline you can do that 
Um, but yeah, it's just like this specific method of strategic. You can look, find the strategic prayer guide and then this book have great ideas for ways to engage anybody really, but kids in long stretches of prayer. There's also a book called the 24-7 Prayer Manual. It's more geared toward adults, but it has a lot of creative ideas that you could, you could kind of scale and transfer for kids. Maybe one more. Sorry, you guys have the same, probably not the same question. <laughs> okay, both of you. You can both, yeah. You get the two-for-one discount. So I'll uh, keep it quick here. Uh, so I grew up as a missionary kid. Uh, was went, went over when I was six. I just wanted to say that as I see the things that you're sharing, they, they're spot on. Okay. In terms of what I've seen, now I'm 30, so this is a long time later. And some missionary kids stayed true to the faith and become Christians and then continue on in passion. And some people ended up uh, end up very jaded and cynical, that part there. Uh, but I think where, as I've been reflecting on the commonalities there, um, building off of what you were saying of choosing sacrifices, when people are at a place where they choose uh, like missionaries themselves can become, uh, you know, very hard, hardened or jaded or kind of that, particularly when you choose relationships that are very difficult and invest a lot in those things. And so guarding heart mm-hmm. through that whole process and being self-reflective is very helpful as you think about caring for your kids because the way that you care for yourself implicitly does filter down and that affects decades later. Yeah. So that's, that's just re- a quick comment there. That's really good. I think this will have to be our last one. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, thank you all for sharing. Uh, you mentioned deferring to your kids in general, just making sure they're okay as long as you're staying there. But I was wondering more, more specifically with like your day-to-day life-on-life discipleship or other ministry, what does it look like to bring your, your spouse or kids into that uh, in, in an active way, like kind of family-on-family discipleship? I think that depends a ton on your context. Our context, it's really easy. So if... Um, Every, it's really common for kids to be home all day. We actually, our first term, we did our whole program in a village, and our kids came every time, and it was great. Everybody loved seeing them. There were other kids there. It was easy. Um, obviously, it could be more difficult in other contexts, but, yeah, we we try to do. Now our kids are older, so they prefer to stay home and not go to the village trips, um, but, it yeah, we do a lot together. As We want to talking about discipling people into what we want them to look like, we we try really hard to value men and women constantly, like not just send Jason to a village to do a project. Like there's if it's not me, it's another woman in our context, just to just to constantly show them we value men, we value women, we value kids in the kingdom. Um, yeah. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. Um yeah, it's definitely changed as our kids have gotten older. Um you know, and yeah, I don't, I don't know that I, I have mean, a lot to add to that. One other thing I would speak to that for the men, especially, um, you've somebody said this to me once about language, like the the amount of language that you learn as a mother and a wife is completely dependent on your husband, because if he is unwilling to give you the childcare and give you the time outside of the home, it's not going to happen. It's true for ministry. I mean, if you as a family go in with my husband is the guy out there, and I'm the stay-at-home mom. It's going to be really challenging for you to find time and space for ministry. That's not now. We don't. It's not half and half necessarily, but on one day a week he does the homeschool. We've done that for years, 
and that's my day to do language, to do ministry, to do whatever else. There's another night a week that he's the one home making dinner because I go with another mom to a village that's just women. So that's a huge part of it. If you, if you have a vision for your family being engaged in reaching families, so much of it depends on the attitude of the husband. Okay. Thank you guys so much. We'll hang around a minute for more questions, but thank you guys.